Hey, good morning. How you doing? Welcome to All People's Church. I'm Kendall, one of the pastors here, and if I haven't met you yet, would love to. And yeah, what a great, what a great day to be at church. So thankful that we're a church that has air conditioning. <laughs> Praise God. Well, I uh, was able to take a little time off this summer, and one of the things that my family did was we went to Zion National Park in Utah. Anybody ever been there? Just show of hands so I kind of know. Oh, great, great. Many of us have seen it. Um, if you've never been to Zion, it's a really, really cool place. It's kind of like Yosemite or uh, Big Sur. You know, every turn you take, there's just these majestic views of God's creation, except it's in uh, the desert. So you see these big canyons and these cliffs, and it's really, really, really amazing. And, you know, there's hidden rivers, and, you know, we pulled up to our little hotel. There was a deer, like, right in front of our hotel room, kind of, like, hanging out. I don't know whether, like, the deer lives there, and they just release it when people check in. But anyway, maybe they do. Cue the deer. But regardless, we love seeing that deer. And uh, it's a big hiking area as you can imagine, and there's several actually extreme hikes that people go on. I was not able to go on an extreme hike because I had my three children with me, but uh, there are a lot of extreme hikes. And the most extreme hike, the kind of the most amazing hike that people talk about at Zion is called the Narrows, okay? Has anyone ever hiked the Narrows in here? Okay, yeah, more power to you. Awesome. So here's a picture of the Narrows. So the Narrows are this amazing hike where you go through these these formations, these rock formations called slot canyons. And, and here's a little about the Narrows. The, the further you go in, actually what you find is you're walking in the water. And so people have to wear special shoes and pants because they're kind of, you see people carrying backpacks on their head, like their whole body's been wet as they've been on this hike for several hours. And once you get in, it's actually very prophetic because as you go through the Narrows, there's these amazing vistas for you to see. And they're all named by Methodist ministers who explored Utah. So they're called like the Great White Throne or the Court of the Patriarchs or uh, Angel's Landing, right? You're like, how did I get to the Great White Throne? You got to go through the Narrows. Kind of reminds me of something Jesus said, Matthew 7. Jesus said this, small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. And the narrows are very, very dangerous. Uh, at, there's a few dangers. The first one is you can get lost because there's no signage. Uh, the second one is because the way these canyons are structured, you can see this canyon here, this picture, there's little rivers, but it's downstream. So upstream, there can be water, and all of a sudden, there could be flash floods, People can get caught in these floods. It's pretty dangerous. And also, to make matters worse, the water is extremely cold. So people get hypothermia on their toes while they're sweating on their heads. Very interesting climate in Utah. So it's, it's really, it's, it's very dangerous. It requires a lot of preparation. So when you walk up to the Narrows, what you'll see is a bunch of signage. And it will say something like this. This is very dangerous. <laughs> Hike at your own risk. The message is very clear from the National Park Service. There is no one there to guide you. There is no one there to help you. If you get lost, you are on your own. Welcome to the Narrows. <laughs> but hey, doesn't life feel like that sometimes? <laughs> like we know God has something good for us. This amazing vista, this angel's landing, this place of blessing and breakthrough. 
And, you know, the way in, like Jesus said, is this narrow way. And we're like, we don't quite know how to get through it. Like, it's not totally clear to us. And we're walking in water, and it's uncomfortable, and it's mysterious. And we, we want to get to all God has for us, but the narrow way is just so, so challenging. And I've got good news for you today. Unlike the Narrows at Zion National Park, where you're on your own, In life, you have a guide. God wants to guide you through the narrows of life. He is the way, and he will show you the way in order for you to get to your angel's landing, (laughs) to the great place, to the place of blessing that God has for you. Look at your neighbor and say, God is my guide. (laughs) God is my guide. Perhaps you've, you've longed for a person in life to be a guide for you. I mean, there's definitely days where I felt that. Wouldn't it be just amazing for, you know, somebody who's a little older than me just to sit down and say, okay, this is the plan for your life. Like, this is exactly what I want you to do. Or maybe you've been to a prayer service where there was like some some prophecy happening. You just hope somebody was going to point you out and be like, on this day, you're going to marry this beautiful woman, right? And, and God was just going to lay it all out for you just like that. Does it work that way? Somebody said, ask the question. Um, Or maybe you're one of those people, I'm like this at times, you're just listening to podcasts or reading books or going through e-courses. You're like trying to find, okay, what is the right path for me? What is the way? I need equipping. I need a guide. And if you feel that way, I think we all do, I just want to affirm that feeling. That's That's not a bad way to feel. God has actually designed us to need a guide. That's why every great story has a guide in it. Luke Skywalker had Obi-Wan. Neo had Morpheus, right? Frodo had Gandalf. Even Simba had Rafiki. Dante had Virgil, right? There, somebody said preach about the Lion King. Um, God has hardwired us for this need, for this desire to have a guide. And God will use people. He will use mentors in our life to speak into our life and to help guide us. He'll use resources. He'll use the scriptures. He'll use so many things. But the thing I want you to know this morning, above anything, one thing that God uses in your life is that God himself wants to be your guide. So this morning, I want to speak to you from the subject, God is my guide. He knows your unique fears, your strengths, your weaknesses. He formed you just the way you are, and he knows the way that you are to go. God wants to be your guide. As I was um, thinking about this, I thought about the history of God working through the scriptures. You know, one of the first times we see God stepping into someone's life and interacting with him is in Genesis 12. Abraham is minding his own business, living the blessed life, Got a bunch of tents and camels. What does God do? He shows up and he says, hey, Abraham, I want you to go to the place I'm going to show you. That is so frustrating. But that was the point. God was going to guide him. God guided his people out of slavery. He guided them through the wilderness with a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. God's people became a kingdom in Israel. He sent them prophets to guide them. 
then as we go through the Bible, we see the New Testament, the Christmas story, right? We see the wise men. They're being guided by a star, right, to find Jesus. And then Jesus appears on the scene, right? He starts blessing, working, talking, living amongst God's people, God himself. And he approaches his disciples, and he gives them an invitation. What does he say? Follow me. I want to be your guide. That was his invitation. That's what he brought his disciples into, and that is how they lived. He guided them. They walked, uh, and for three years, he guided them. He taught them. He instructed them. And then at the height of their ministry, like when everything was going really, really good, he started to get kind of weird. He started to say some things that upset the disciples. He started to say things like this. One of you is going to betray me. Okay. He looks at Peter, his star disciple, and he says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And by the way, I'm praying for you because Satan has decided to sift you. What a great encouraging word to get at Life Group, right? Um, the disciples are frustrated. They're confused. They're complex. They're, they're perplexed. They're, they're losing their guide. He says, I'm going to go to a place. The Father's house is many rooms, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. They're like, what? And, and then he starts talking about persecution, and he's going to pray for their unity. And finally, they get to the point, oh, Jesus is going to die. Like, we're losing our guide. He's not going to be here to walk us through life. And the amazing thing is once the disciples get this revelation, Jesus starts to share another promise with them. He says, hey, don't worry. It's actually going to be better if I go because another guide is going to come to you. And this is where we pick up the story in John chapter 16. Verse 12. This is Jesus talking. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. God always knows the timing of when to reveal different parts of our journey. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And the key verse there is verse 13. Jesus said this, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. God is my guide. This is why it was a good thing. Because when Jesus was on the earth, he was just one man. He was God fully, fully God, but he was also fully man. So he, he was bound to his physical body. So if you've ever read the New Testament, what you see is whenever Jesus enters a room or a city, everyone is trying to get a hold of him, right? We've got people climbing up into trees, yelling at Jesus. We've got people cutting holes in roofs. They're yelling at Jesus. We've got people grabbing onto his clothes. Like when he goes into crowds, people are crying out. They're yelling. They're all trying to get a hold of him because he was limited by time and space. But then Jesus tells his disciples, it's going to be better if I go because I'm going to send you another guide, the spirit of truth. And it's, he's going to guide you in the spirit. He's going to be the Holy Spirit. And he's going to be available to all people at all times. That's why John 14, John 14, excuse me, John 12, Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. No one is going to be an orphan. No one is going to be separate from the Father because the Holy Spirit is going to let everyone have the same chance to have a relationship with God. So Jesus started to talk about this guide, the Holy Spirit. 
So I want to pray now because we're going to get practical about how God guides us into our journey. What I'm believing for each of you this morning is that God will start to guide you through your journey and that you're going to walk away with a greater confidence that God is your guide. Will you just put your hand on your heart? Holy Spirit, we invite you to guide us today. Guide us into all the truth you have for us. Pray for every person here, God, that you touch their hearts right now and prepare them for the parts of their journey you want to show them today. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to get practical looking at how God guides us. I have a little sentence. has my three points in it. God meets us in our present, say present, to guide us through our past, say past, to lead us into our future, say future. God meets us in our present to guide us through our past, to lead us into our future. Let's look at the present for a minute. How many of you know God wants a relationship with you? And not just transactionally, not just you praying a prayer, you know, and feeling like you're okay with God and you're forgiven, but, but he wants a relationship with you in every present moment of your life. That's why he sent the Holy Spirit. So we could be close and near to him. That's what God wants for us. And how many of you know, this is often the place in the Christian life where we find the greatest tension. Because we know God wants a relationship with us at every present moment, but we get like super distracted. <laughs> We're not always connecting with God. And so for, just for me, like let me bring you into this struggle for my own life. Like I really want to walk with God. Like Jesus is everything to me. I want a fellowship with the Holy Spirit. I've had some amazing experiences with God. Plus, I'm a pastor. So it's my job to be spiritual. But there are times in my life where my world does not seem so spiritual and I don't feel connected with God. Like just like any other job, I have budgets to look at, staff to manage, graphic design to approve, logistics to consider, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And at the end of different days, I can just find myself thinking, oh, I feel so condemned, like I, I did so much today, but I wasn't connected with God. Does anybody know what I'm talking about when you're, when you're getting in the car after a day of work and you're like, again, I'm a Martha, again, Lord, I'm sorry, I wanted to be a Mary, but I just can't do it, right? And so this is the tension we find ourselves in where God really wants to connect with us. We want to connect with him, but like life is just so distracting. So meanwhile, there's this verse that has plagued me for most of my Christian life. I memorized it when I was an early Christian, John chapter 15, and it's about staying connected to Jesus. It goes something like this, John 15, verses 1 and 2. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Ouch. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. So we understand the passage here, right? Jesus is saying, he's the vine. He's our source of life. The father is the vine dresser, comes and trims the vines and arranges them properly. We're the branch. And we have a job to stay connected with Jesus and to bear fruit. And if you're fruitful, God rewards you with pruning. Newsflash. So I think a lot of us get that. But for me, 
it's really verse 2 that has just bugged me for years. I mean, look at this. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. I'm like, really, God? If I don't bear fruit, you're going to take me away? Like, where are you going to take me? And like, how long can I not be fruitful before you take me away? Like, like an hour, a few one-on-ones, a job interview. I mean, my poor wife, she hasn't slept in six years because of our children. Is she going to get taken away? Is this, you know, what's going to happen? And I mean, really though, like it, it's really upsetting to me, this scripture. And I just, I, so I was out at this friend's house in Ramona and he has some vines. He has a little vineyard. And I really enjoyed walking amongst this vineyard and just pondering, you know, this passage. You know, the father, the vine dresser, Jesus, the vine. I'm the branch, the fruitfulness. God, like, what is with this taking away? And it's in this tension that, you know, these verses can be interpreted a lot of ways. But for me, in in this tension, this is where I discovered something that was really, really beautiful for me. This word take away, it's a Greek word, and it's pronounced iro. And there's some meanings of this word iro that might surprise you. One meaning is to raise up, to elevate, or to lift up. One is to take upon oneself and carry something that has been raised up. One is to bear away what has been raised or to carry off. So I thought, what if this doesn't mean what I've always thought it meant? And then I thought about these vines, and I have a picture. You know, the, the vines at this vineyard are on trellises. You can see them right there. You kind of on the far right, and that's a little faded, but on the, on the, on the left, you can see the vines are raised up. They're raised up off the ground so they can be fruitful. There's these little forked sticks that the vine dresser puts under the vine to prop it up. So then I started to look at this word, Iro, in the New Testament. And I noticed that over 30 times, it's translated as to be lifted up or taken up. When the lepers are calling out to Jesus, and it says they lifted up their voices, they irode their voices. When Jesus looks at a man and he says, pick up your mat and walk, he's saying, will you iro your mat? Will you lift it up? I thought, I wonder if this doesn't mean what I thought it meant. And then I started to look at some Bible commentaries, and of course there's opinions about every scripture, but there's one guy, the president of Dallas Theological Seminary, said this, the correct interpretation of this phrase is that the believer is taken away from his downtroddenness by being lifted up in life. Look at the vine that isn't lifted up. The vine with no trellis isn't fruitful. See, vines naturally wrap themselves around stuff. So it's wrapped around rocks or trees or whatever that stuff is. The vines that are lifted up have the chance to be fruitful. Listen, isn't this what Jesus did with you? He lifted you up on the cross. He lifted your sin on the cross. I have been crucified with Christ. He raised you to life. He lifted you up. Ephesians 2, he's raised us 
into heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Jesus is in the business of lifting us up. So then I started to look at some other translations. And again, there's some other thoughts, but the Passion Translation, I really loved how it said it. John 15, verse 2. He cares for the branches connected in me by lifting and propping up the fruitless branches. Here's my point. When you go through your day not connected with God, please don't feel condemned. Please don't do the, oh, I'm a Martha. Instead, all you have to do is say this. Jesus, will you lift me up? Will you lift me up into heavenly places with you? Will you lift me up into your perspective? Will you lift me up into your presence right now? It's just a breath away. That's all he's wanting. He's wanting that invitation. He's wanting that request. He's saying, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to cut you off. I'm not going to leave you on the ground in your despair and your downtroddenness and your depression. Even in the details of life, I'm not going to leave you down there. I'm just waiting for you to say, lift me up. That's who Jesus is. God meets us in our present. He lifts us up where we're at into an experience of his presence. Isaiah 11 verse 2 describes who the Holy Spirit is for us. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, knowledge and the fear of the Lord. This is what Jesus raises you up into whenever you need it. Please don't feel condemned. Please don't be worried that you're going to get cut off. If you're trusting with Jesus, his desire is your fruitfulness, and therefore he will lift you up. He will arrow you. He's cutting you off, yeah, from the ground. He's cutting you off, yeah, from the devil, right? But he's connecting you with the vine. God meets us in our present to guide us through our past. So when you meet God in your present, something unique happens. And God starts to give you the right perspective on your past, You know, in the narrows of life, there are all of these twists and turns, right? We oftentimes don't know what's around the corner. Might be danger, might be beauty. But there are times when our guide, the Holy Spirit, you know, he turns around, he puts his hand on our shoulder, and he says, it's time. Now I'm going to guide you through your past. I like how Psalm 139 says it. Again, in the Passion Translation. You've gone into my future to prepare the way, and in kindness you follow behind me to spare me from the harm of my past. Anybody happy about that? That's amazing. With your hand of love upon my life, you impart a blessing to me. Listen, if you feel God nudging you to go into your past, to deal with it, please don't be afraid. His desire is to spare you from the harm of your past. But you've got to go through it to see it happen. His desire is to put his hand of love upon your life and impart a blessing to you. That's why John 16, our key verse, says the Holy Spirit will guide us into all the truth. There's truth that's hidden in your story. Truth about who God is, about who God is for you. Truth about who you are how God has created you, and if the Holy Spirit doesn't guide you into that place, you're never going to experience that truth of who the Lord would be for you in that place. That's why we do Freedom Day. There's just times that are set aside, 
And we say, okay, God, this is, this is our time. The, the people you're calling this time, will you guide them into their past? Bring freedom, bring blessing, put your hand of blessing on their life. Reminds me of a story from my life. When I was about 12 or 13, I was a Boy Scouts, and it was my turn to get the Wilderness Survival Merit Badge, okay? And I had a lot of merit badges. The cooking merit badge was very hard for me, but I was excited about the Wilderness Survival Merit Badge. And what happens at the kind of the apex of getting the badge is you go on this wilderness survival journey. And so my, my dad and my scoutmaster dropped me off at this big forest area, and they gave me a few things. They gave me a compass. They gave me a, a pocket knife. They gave me one match, a tarp, about half a pound of ground beef, uncooked, and an onion. And my goal was I had to hike to a certain spot, make camp, when the sun went down, wake up the next morning and make it to the rendezvous point on my own. So that's how you get the Wilderness Survival Merit Badge. And you military guys are thinking, what a wuss. I did this every morning, you know. But hey, this was a big deal for me. So just let me have my illustration. And so there it was. I mean, it was my time. This was a big deal and kind of my rite of passage into manhood. And so I, I go on this hike, and I have the compass, and I'm guiding my own way. And, you know, the sun starts going down, so I make my, I make my camp, right? I tie the little tarp to some sticks and make myself a fire, put a bunch of wood on it so it burns all night. And I couldn't figure out how to cook the meat. And then I thought, oh, I could hollow out the onions. So I cooked all the beef and this onion. It was really good, actually. And then, and then I ate that, and I fell asleep. And I put a lot of fire on, a lot of wood on the fire. And I woke up at 2 or 3 in the morning. The fire was still going, but it had attracted tons of bugs. I mean, Texas-sized bugs, you guys, okay? These were not California bugs. And there are bugs everywhere. They're crawling all over me. I'm freaking out. I'm thinking, well, I can't put the fire out because of the wolves, you know. And there were no wolves in Texas, but I just had all kinds of thoughts. <laughs> of course, dawn came, and I hiked out, and I made it to the rendezvous point. And my father and the scoutmaster were there. And so for years, this is how I told myself that story. I did that. It was interesting a few years ago because I was spending some time with my dad and we were reflecting on that story and he told me the story from his perspective. And so for his perspective, he, he dropped me off with the scoutmaster and then he got in his car and my dad can be a little emotional at times, so he cried. And then what I didn't know is the forest actually wasn't that big. It was kind of just like a rectangle surrounded by some roads. And he took a right turn and he just drove down the road. And he was kind of tracking where he thought I might be during that hike. And then at night, he just put down his, his chair. He could see the fire. He could see the smoke. And he was watching me, making sure I was okay. And then, of course, in the morning, I wake up, and all he's done is taken a right turn. And <laughs> I, I come out of the woods triumphantly. And, of course, he was so proud. But... What I didn't know was the whole time my father was watching over me. Listen, I don't know what's gone on in your story. I don't know what hardship. I've been through some too. You might have been through. But the father had something for you that he wanted to give you. He didn't cause it, no. But his heart, his desire was to step in, to help, to bless, to heal in those moments. Uh, maybe there's some great things in your story. 
that you thought, yeah, this was all me, or maybe somebody did something for you, and maybe that was actually God's hand, setting you up in life, blessing you, imparting something to you, strengthening to you. And I, I can just tell you, for every person I've sat down with and seen the Lord guide them through their past, yes, there's been pain, there's been things to walk through, but God has imparted amazing truth to them. There's some things we can only see in that little part of the Neros. God meets us in our present to guide us through our past, to lead us into our future. Speaking of the future, let's look at uh, John 16, 13 again. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority. Whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. So he will declare to you the things that are to come. So that's just one thing I want to say to some people in this room. Some of you think God's holding out on you, that he actually doesn't want to show you his plans for your life for the future. And he does reveal it to us incrementally, but he wants to declare to you the things that are to come. That's his heart, is to guide you into a good future. He's in the business of transforming our fast, past are fast too, but, um, but as he does that, he's leading us into something. He's leading us into something that he has for us. And there's something interesting about the Christian life. As we mature, God will guide us differently in different seasons. So God's principles of guidance are always the same. Here, here are some things he's going to use to guide you. He's going to use the scriptures, commanding scripture. He's going to use the Holy Spirit, revelation from him, the compelling spirit. He's going to use the church, the counsel of the saints. He's going to use reason, common sense. He'll use that sometimes. And he'll use circumstantial signs, like his providential workings in your life. So those are some principles of how God guides us. But as we move into new seasons, it's important to realize that sometimes God will guide us differently than he did this season before. And he does it to accelerate our maturity and to initiate us into the next season. So I want to share with you a scripture that um, a leader in the body of Christ just just shared with our church and believed it was a word for us. This man has been used to kind of spark some different works, moves of God across the world. And so I think this is a real pertinent thing And I'm going to take a hard turn now and go to the Old Testament because that's where the Scripture is, but it speaks of God's guidance to us. The context is when Israel crossed the Jordan into the promised land, and it speaks of a great transition into maturity for Israel. Joshua chapter 3. As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priest, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. So a few things I want to highlight as God guides us, as he leads us as a church family into the future he has for us. First of all, we have not passed this way before. We have not passed this way before. There are things that God is doing in this season in our church family that are very different than any other season. So just even calendar-wise, like we have services all weekend. So that's, that's a different thing. Um, 
you know, around the nations. We have five different church plants that are going out. So this is becoming a church that's reaching the world, right? So that's, that's something different. We're, he's stretching us out. He's extending our faith, our, our finances, our infrastructure as, as we do that. We're moving into phase three of the light project, this public phase of raising millions of dollars. We haven't done that before, right? Um, and so we need God's hand in that. But in all this, it's representative of a new season of maturity we're coming into as a church, where we are crossing our Jordan, where God is establishing us in the land into a place of permanence and strength to remain for generations from come. It's the transition from wilderness faith to promised land faith. We have not been this way before. And, you know, as we consider that, I was really meditating on this verse, and another part stuck out to me. I never really thought about this before. So uh, it's, it says, there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Okay, what is it? Well, the it is the ark. And the ark of the Old Testament represents the presence of God. Like that represents the Holy Spirit working in our lives. And so God would lead, he would guide Israel through his presence using this ark of the covenant. That's where his presence dwelt. And the Holy Spirit wants to guide us. He wants to go before us. He wants to be the presence of God in the here and now that leads us into the things he has for us that we have not encountered yet before. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it about 2,000 cubits in length. And I thought about this a lot, and I've always kind of read this and probably breezed over the next sentence and thought, well, the distance between the people and the ark was, was like other times in the Old Testament. Like the ark is holy, the people are not, so there had to be a distance. But that's not what it says. It says, do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go. So 2,000 cubits, that's about a half mile. And so what the Lord is saying to Israel is he's saying, hey, stay about a half mile back from my presence. So when I turn, you have time to turn. So when I go this way, you have time to pivot and go this way. So you can watch me and see what I'm doing. It's like a road trip. You got to stay a little back in the caravan so you have some following distance. So when the person in front of you switches lanes, you can switch lanes. And, and I believe God is calling us into this season of holy margin, of where we're saying, okay, I'm going to take a few steps back because I know God wants to be my guide, and he wants to be our guide, and he wants to lead us into something new. Stephen Band, come on up. So wherever you're at today, God wants to be your guide. Maybe it's in your present. Me, me just speaking about being lifted up. You're like, wow. Like, I've always thought I had to do that in my own strength. I've always thought I had to lift myself up. I want you to know this morning that God will lift you up. You can just call out to him. Maybe you've actually never given your heart to Jesus. Today would be a great day to call out to him and have him lift you up for the first time. Maybe it's your past. Maybe you're moving into a season where you feel the guide the Holy Spirit on your shoulder saying, hey, it's time. We're going to go there. You're going to find some truth there. I'm going to lead you into this place. Or maybe just with all of us, it's for the good future that God has for us. We're just saying today before the Lord, God, we want to create some holy margin in our lives for you to lead us, for you to be our guides. Wherever that applies to you, would you just stand up and just start to pray that back to God, just whether it's the present, the past, or the future. If you've never given your heart to God before, that's something you want to do today. 
It's a really easy way to start. You just invite God to forgive your sins and move in your heart. You can pray something like this. You can pray it right after me, right now. Nothing magic about the words. It's just an invitation for the Holy Spirit. You can say, Jesus, forgive me my sins. Come into my heart. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you were raised to life to give me life. I give you everything I have. And I want to follow you. I just want to end with this song, In the Waiting. Just this word that the Lord gave us through another, through another leader out of Joshua 3. Just speaking of the space, we want to give God to guide us and lead us in this time. I think there may be some people that just need to come to the front and say, God, I want that holy margin in my life. I, I'm not going to pray for you in particular, but it's just your, your response today. I think some of us might just need to raise our hands and invite God to, to lead us and guide us in new ways. I think there's others that are just, you honestly just need to sign up for Freedom Day. Like God has his hand on your past and you need to just let him do it. Lord, come be our guides. Lord, we don't want to lead ourselves. Lord, we want you to lead us. God, if your presence doesn't go before us, we have nothing. Lord, we take a few steps back in our spirits today, and we invite you to be our guide, for you to be our leader. Lord, we haven't been this way before. We need your leadership. Come and be our guide. Come meet us in the waiting.